Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, EveryonesAcriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. We are also streaming live on YouTube every Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Monday night, depending on my schedule for now. Uh, <clears throat> there will be links on our social media uh, with the live stream if you want to watch along. Uh, or also on all your podcatchers, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, YouTube as well. And uh, subscribe to the show there, rate and review the show, and we have a contest if you do give us a five-star review. Sean, tell me a little bit about that. We've got uh, Blu-rays we're giving away for a couple of different movies, Deliver Us from Evil and uh, The Great War of Archimedes. They're both, uh, you can find descriptions of each on the Facebook page, but uh, it's a Blu-ray. We'll give it to you if you give us a five-star review. We've got uh, nine available. And I do check the Apple reviews, but I don't know where the other ones are. Uh, so if you do leave a review, it sounds like you don't know, but there's a lot of things to check. And I'm busy. So if you do leave us a review, either hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or uh, email us at critics at ihatecritics.net. And we'll uh, read your review on the air and get you, make sure we get your copy to you. Yep. Uh, you can also go to our social media pages and see the link to to the giveaway <clears throat> patreon.com slash critics pod the best way to help support the podcast get yourself a credit on the show and then t public if you go to i critics.net there's a little t public link get yourself some podcast merch this is not our podcast merch that i'm wearing today like i normally do <laughs> but i do have you know i'm using a notebook the batman versus jesus uh so yeah, check us out there. Help us out on any of those platforms. And let's get the show started. And let's bring up the pictures. And here we go. We'll start with In the Heights. In the Heights uh, from uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, based upon a play, a Broadway play that he did uh, several years ago. Uh, tells the story of a, of a neighborhood, Washington Heights in uh, New York City, uh, where uh, a group of uh, Latinos, really a group of, of uh, a large number of different people uh, living in this neighborhood and uh, just their day-to-day life as this neighborhood seems to be uh, changing a great deal, uh, possibly you know, in ways that uh, are, are going to reshape the entire neighborhood the way it looks. Uh, there's more gentrification. There are different types of businesses are moving in that are more expensive and high end. And it's pushing uh, others out of the neighborhood. And uh, these changes are chronicled via a series of uh, musical numbers. Uh, the lead character uh, is a, a young man who owns a store. Uh, he wants to leave, however, and move down to the Dominican uh, where his father used to run a bar and he wants to run a bar down there. Uh, he, he's bought, he's basically saved up enough money to, to purchase it and to, uh, operate it. And, uh, so he's leaving, uh, it, and, uh, the other side of the group on the other side of the coin, uh, Jimmy Smith has a, is a character who runs a car service, who is a big part of the community, but he's having to give up a lot of his money to pay for his daughter to go to college. And, uh, and he may actually have to sell his entire business in order to do that. There's a hair salon as well that is also in this neighborhood that is planning to leave for a higher-end uh, neighborhood because they can make more money. Uh, all There's no real plot, necessarily. Uh, this is a lot of just 
a series of songs and interconnected relationships. And there's nothing bad about In the Heights. And I, I, I do sense what people enjoy about this because it is a, a joyous celebration of music and community. Uh, I just find the movie to be innocuous, uh, safe. There's nothing special about it. On top of which, a lot of the songs uh, use the same cadence as the songs from Hamilton. And I realize that the, In the Heights happened before Hamilton, but I'm only aware of Hamilton prior to this. And so when I hear the same you know, hip-hop cadence in, in this movie that I heard in Hamilton, it seems derivative. It feels derivative to me. Uh, again, again, I'm not aware. I have not seen In the Heights as a musical prior to Hamilton. So I, I don't have that information as much as I know. I've been, I think people have pointed this out to me. Oh, this happened before. Why are you saying it's derivative? It is derivative to me. <laughs> it may not be to you, but it is to me because I didn't have the experience of this beforehand. Uh, it just it doesn't it doesn't feel as special after Hamilton. Hamilton feels still today to me to be very special. This with this coming after Hamilton in terms of being a you know film presentation, it it doesn't feel as special. It doesn't feel as if interesting. It feels like this is just doing the same thing. It is, and it, uh, I. I just didn't feel this the way I felt Hamilton. And that's, uh, that's on me, I guess I had maybe higher expectations of this than uh, perhaps too high expectations of this based off of how much I love Hamilton. And uh, I think that kind of holds me back from feeling really big things about this movie. Yeah, I didn't see it. And I mean, I suppose the way I, I the way I'm viewing your criticism, you're being much nicer on the show. Not that your review was mean when I read it, <laughs> But right. I can definitely tell you re- you read some other critics and you're even sharing their reviews, yeah, uh, which I read as well. But it reminds me of like like ACDC, like Black Back in Black was great, and everything after that was derivative of it. But <laughs> they're still good, <laughs> right? And so I don't. I mean, that's there's kinda... also just the, there's a lightness to this. Like there there there's a there's a sort of uh, I don't want to call it transgressiveness to Hamilton, but just it takes power from from having a, a historical story being told. By, by people who, of color and that sort of a that's sort of oddly transgressive in its way because because of the story that they're telling and who it's about and it's got that you know that punch from history t- to carry it forward and this just doesn't like one of the songs here is about how great this guy's coffee is and <laughs> that's just that's never going to match up to to what to, you know some the stuff that's happening in Hamilton but i mean looking at the trailer and what it's about this could have had more of a punch. I mean, there is yeah. a story here that could be more punchy, and they it sounds like they didn't go with it, or they didn't go with. Well, it I think hard that enough. I think that I think what you're talking about is the dreamer stuff, and that came about as after this you know had been oh. already made, and so they kind of went back and drew that into the story uh, afterwards, and so they couldn't necessarily take advantage of that. Would it have better been better with it out? Because, I mean, I, uh, watching the trailer, I mean, made me kind of expect that that was going to be more of a focal point of the movie. And, again, I didn't know about this until the movie. I started seeing trailers. Right. So that's why I wonder if, you know, if, you, if you're not expecting the punch, would it, you know, if you can just watch it for what it is, would it have worked more? Maybe putting that Dreamer stuff in the trailer as much as they did uh, yeah, hurt I, it. I, I don't, don't know, know if that was necessarily a good move, putting it in the trailer. It kind of created... It created a lot of uh, expectations about this having a more of a 
political vibe and there's no political vibe in this movie at all aside from uh two scenes maybe <laughs> it is on hbo max and in theaters if you're interested in seeing it and- it's not a bad movie by any stretch and like i'm the only critic in the world who said anything even remotely <laughs> negative about it yeah and if the songs are fine there's nothing wrong with it yeah just because they're not as awesome as Hamilton's songs doesn't make them bad. All right. Let's move on. Holler. Holler. This is the best movie this week, undoubtedly. This is a movie by director Nicole Regal, and it's uh, set in uh, Jackson, Ohio, where the director is from. Uh, she actually grew up in this area and doing what these characters in this movie do, which is scrapping, uh, stealing uh, not stealing, but just gathering as much metals as you can and trading it for cash uh, at a, at these places that take that take metal for cash. And uh, her and her brother are kind of on the on the very 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 low end of the uh, economic spectrum. Their mother, played by Pamela Adlon, is in jail uh, for uh, part of her drug addiction, and uh, they end up getting this opportunity uh, from this uh, from this guy who owns a scrapyard to uh, join his uh, crew that uh, kind of scraps in a way that is rather illegal and very dangerous. Uh, there are all these uh, former uh, factories in, in Ohio, these, these empty factories that have been empty for years, uh, corporations that ran off to Mexico, leaving behind these massive metal contraptions. And uh, they're guarded because these companies still own these places. They, they just sit there empty. Uh, and so there are targets of uh, people who steal, uh, you know, the, the most expensive metals and uh, they fall in with that crew. And that's a dangerous thing to be part of. And we certainly see the danger of that. Meanwhile, she's also on a college track. Uh, she's actually uh, earned her way towards potentially getting a scholarship uh, because her brother actually put her up for one. And uh, there's that ch- there's a good chance that she could get out of this. And so there's a great deal, a, a dual track of suspense there, whether or not she's going to, whether or not she even wants to leave. Does she actually enjoy this? Does she actually like this life? Uh, she certainly likes her. She loves her brother and, uh, and is afraid to leave him, especially if she's going to leave him in this situation where he's continuing to do this very dangerous activity. Uh, this is a really well-made movie. It's very compelling. Jessica Barton is the star and she's uh, fantastic. Very, she, it all feels very authentic. And uh, I, I really love this movie. I had a conversation with Nicole Regal, which is out now on my other show. And uh, she was talking about how we, we actually got to that thing about, uh, I didn't mention Hillbilly Elegy by name, but I did talk about how Hollywood represents this part of the country by hairstyle. <laughs> and she's like, yes, I, I wanted to avoid all, that by all, by all, by all means. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Is this her first movie? This is, yes. That's cool. <clears throat> it kind of reminds me without necessarily the goofy humor of like the show Shameless where the kids are, you know, they're all special in their own way and they have a chance to get out of this and just keep not doing it. Uh, and I love that show. Uh, so I'm definitely interested in this movie. I was able to get to it this week. But that's very cool. It looks very good. I like the poster. Yeah, it's got well. a great look. That's awesome. We're just moving right along this week. Apologize to everybody. <laughs> Sorry. I have seen this one, so let's go ahead with the amusement park. George Romero's the amusement park. Yeah, this is a weird one. Uh, so 1973, I think it was, uh, George Romero was hired by the 
Lutheran League of Pennsylvania to uh, direct a movie that was intended to show the struggles of aging uh, and how we should uh, you know, try and do more for our elderly population. And uh, I guess they didn't realize who they hired <laughs> because instead of making a PSA about how difficult it is to be to age to be aged in this uh, society, he made this, which is this weird experimental art movie, which is kind of about uh, the difficulties of aging. If you uh, read between the lines, uh, a, a man in a, a perfect pitch perfect white suit uh, walks into a room where. A version of himself is already sitting battered and beaten and bloody and crying. And uh, he's kind of curious, like, why are you so uh, why are you like this? Why don't you leave? Why don't you get up and go outside? Come on with me. We'll go outside together. And man just refuses. And uh, the man who is well dressed and and looking nice uh, is going to find out why he's already sitting in that room uh, bleeding and bloodied and crying. Uh, He walks out uh, into this amusement park and uh, immediately he's just set upon by crowds of people and it's very overwhelming uh he ends up getting in line to purchase tickets but instead of people buying tickets it's people selling their most prized possessions so that they can buy tickets to just to go to this amusement park uh he goes on a goes on a ride and it's it's disorienting and frightening for him and uh all a lot of symbolism a lot of symbolism going on here uh, is the movie scary? Uh, it's weird. <laughs> I know it's weird. It, it's a weird movie. I, I didn't connect with it the way a lot of people did. This is another one. Like In the Heights is at 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. This is at 99, 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I didn't really go for either one. Yeah, this one's more about the to me the backstory than it is the movie itself because it's like you said it's a PSA it's an educational yeah. film <laughs> directed by George Romero and educational films don't need symbolism because they're educational films so he goes off and makes a movie with symbolism in it and it's over the top it's it's really neat looking I, you know the way that old people walk walk like I mean I shouldn't say it, it looks like a Romero movie they're walking around like zombies you know and you know, I, I don't mind the image, the, the yeah, the imagery, I guess. But, but the movie itself is like, I, I, it's not great. It's you know, it's not entertaining per se. It's just weird. And he made an art film instead of an educational film, which, in a way, I, I appreciate that because it's kind of funny. Uh, but it's still, you know, it, it's not a movie. <laughs> You know, it's <laughs> it's only 53 minutes. Yeah, right. So it's just kind of and I don't I mean, the educational stuff is very not realistic at all because it's like Sean said, it's symbolism. They're using a lot of that. So it, it it's just kind of the idea of what happened is neat to me. And that's kind of where it begins and end. And I feel like people are bringing that to their reviews because it's not really a movie. Uh, <laughs> at least that's my know. opinion. There's no, I mean, it's just a series of, of, of things that happen. Uh, one scene has him in bumper cars and he witnesses what appears to be <laughs> these people start acting out this bumper car situation where an old lady's bumper car hits a young man's bumper car and 
they treat it like it's an actual accident and he gets involved and says it was the young man's fault and the cop won't believe him because he's old and he didn't have his glasses on and disrespects him. Another scene has him for some reason at the amusement park, he's buying his groceries and he can't carry them all by himself and he, and nobody is willing to help him. And I guess that's symbolic of a society that refuses to help old people even carry their groceries. Which, yeah, I, yeah. I, I get what you're saying, but why is it here? Why is this happening? Well, it was like, why is he buying groceries? It's like the worst thing that can happen to any elderly person happens to everybody in this amusement park. So <laughs> it, it gets to the point where you start rolling your eyes a little bit, uh, you know, at least in terms of the point of the movie. But at the same time, it, you know, it's a little bit, there's a little bit of an art in it, which takes away from the educational part of the film uh and yeah there's some like there's some like really big visual elements that are you know classically uh romero i guess but that's i I know it's almost more just like the punk rock feel of it because it's supposed to mean it was a you know it was for hire you know it was something he didn't want to do and they just said hey will you make this for us and then they saw it and they were like what the hell is this and they never released it (laughs) And yeah, now, they threw it in a basement somewhere, and uh, somebody just happened to find it. And uh, yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, I I don't know. I I don't think anything beyond the 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 big Romero fans or even the horror fans are good. I know it's got a good review, but I don't think every critic's watching this movie. <laughs> I'm being honest. <laughs> All right, what do we got next? Take me somewhere nice. Take Me Somewhere Nice is a uh, Danish film about a woman who lived, uh, whose father is Croatian. He lives in Croatia. She's going to see him uh, as he is supposedly dying, or he is dying in a hospital in Croatia. Uh, she's never been to Croatia. She can barely speak the language, and she doesn't know anybody in Croatia aside from a cousin she's not seen in many, many years. Uh, her mother arranges for her to be able to go, uh, but doesn't go with her. Uh, She arrives in Croatia. Her cousin is just a total jerk who just absolutely not helpful at all to her in this situation. And uh, he basically says he's not going to take her. Uh, She falls in with one of his friends, uh, Dennis, uh, and the two just kind of throw down and have sex like right away, which is cool. It's like the it's the best sex scene in the the movie that has uh, several of them because it's just two people who are just kind of bored and just kind of like each other and want to have sex. And it's like, yeah, I get that. I get the fun of that. <laughs> it makes sense to me. Uh, there are other sex scenes in this movie though, that are, are kind of weird and out there and, and kind of one of them is just kind of really off putting and that, that tends to happen in this movie. This is a movie that doesn't have much of a story. She, she decides to go on her own to try and get to the hospital. She ends up uh, being left behind under, by her bus and she kind of falls in with a couple of different people she considers actually going into prostitution for a short bit just to try and make some money because she doesn't have her bags they were left on the bus uh she and uh then the then the cousin and dennis show up and they do help her and they do take her eventually and it's a lot it's a it's a lot of road movie stuff and it's and and a lot of people have said it's very that these are very funny things i didn't find this is funny. This is another 99% movie on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm like, and I just, I don't get what people saw in this movie. I didn't, 
find it funny. I found the look of the movie is incredible. Like the, the director, Ina Sendajarevic, is incredible in terms of being a director. She's got some really terrific uh, visual sense. Uh, she really uh, made the scenes, a lot of scenes really pop. She, she makes uh, interesting choices on her uh, on her angles and, and cinematography is just fantastic. But the the other aspects of it, like the, the weird sex stuff, it's I've read other critics who are praising uh, her sexual liberation. And I, th- I kind of find that maybe that this is more of a an American thing. Like when we see characters now that are that female characters, especially who are who are openly sexual, we praise that. And really, I think in, in Europe, that's just more of a like, yeah, no, she just likes to have sex. It's a perfectly normal thing to do. You guys are just really repressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I find that the, the that I didn't find that aspect of it to be that uh, interesting because it, it's like yeah she so she likes to have sex good for her. <laughs> well, the review in the Times says haywire sexuality. Now, does that just mean a lot of sex or is it like weird sex? <laughs> it's it's weird sex. Okay. Uh, two of the two of the weird two of the scenes are, are very are very weird. Uh, and I don't want to spoil anything because one of the comes one of the one of the scenes comes at the end in a in this very bizarre circumstance that I and I spent a lot of time thinking about the circumstance of it and trying to understand like what the point of this was and I couldn't and I just got frustrated and I just don't think that's the experience of this movie that that the director wants me to have <laughs> I don't know why any director would want to leave the audience just frustrated. I didn't find it funny. I didn't find it dramatic. I found it weird, and it, I found I didn't make any sense to me. I can't really spoil, spoil this movie because it's not a movie that that has any kind of twists or turns to it. it. It's not a movie that has like a typical beginning, middle, and end. It's an experience movie, uh, and and it, as an experience movie, I, I, I can definitely see what some people like about it. Maybe it would play better in a theater instead of me watching it on a screen or at home. Uh, where you can't escape from it, maybe, but I, I still don't see what other people saw in this movie. Uh, there, there are surreal scenes, but I, I didn't feel like I felt the surreality of it. Uh, it doesn't really underline uh, how surreal it all is very well. Even a scene where uh, she and her cousin and Dennis are, carry, are carrying her father's uh, coffin in this, in this vehicle that is not built to carry a coffin. Uh, they get pulled over by police it's supposed to be surreal and dark and I guess funny, but I didn't find any of it funny. Um, and that's just kind of my experience of this movie. Like I said, it's an incredibly visual movie. And, and Sendajarevic is a terrific director of visual action. But I, in terms of the story, I just didn't buy into any aspect of the story. Is there any element of, you know, back to the the sexuality of it, the, you know, the fact that we are American you know, is that because some of the ways, you know, men treat women and act and, we, you know, when, when you say weird and something like that in America, I could see just uncomfortable uh, is a word that comes to my mind and that I would feel just based on reactions I've seen in movies before or people I know, blah, blah, blah. Is it possible because we're American, it's really not as uncomfortable as it feels or? Uh, or at least that's kind of how I haven't seen it. I'm just kind of asking the question right. if that's if it would play funnier over, you know, in a different, you know, in a more modern culture than ours. 
Uh, maybe, yeah, because like I said, every other critic who's seen this movie seems to love it. Uh, and I'm sure the overseas critics seem to, to, to take to it a great deal. So that's certainly possible. But uh, I, I just did not connect with this in that way. I was, I was uh, like I said, I, I find a lot of this movie very impressive. And I do want to see what uh, Ina Sendajarevic is going to do next. But uh, this movie as it is, it's just the, the strangeness of the sex scenes. Uh, the two of them that I'm not really describing very well. Oh, the movie, let me just I'll just tell you this. The movie ends on a scene of her just washing herself. <laughs> and, and I really do think like it, it comes if this were a male director, we would only talk about the way that he films her thighs in this movie. We would only talk about that. If this were a male director, that would be the only thing we talk about. Because <laughs> it is all it borders on fetishism at, a t- at points. Yeah. Even though there's no there's no nudity in the movie. There's no nudity. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is like I'm I'm struggling with the idea of <clears throat> again, like you said, if it was a male director, we'd be treating it differently and but does that come back on us again or the fact that other male directors in the past that have been wrong, you know, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's such a it's a weird like I'm just totally uncomfortable. Maybe with, that's the uh, maybe that's the transgressive aspect I'm missing is that this is a this is a female director who appears to be objectifying this young woman as opposed to a male director, and maybe that's supposed to be the point. I just didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our classic. Here comes. already? Oh wow, we're, we are <laughs> we're flying right through here. All right, here plays here comes the bumper that you can't hear. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event for the linear, legitimate, and universally recognized, undisputed classic. And to those listening at home, I know you can hear the bumpers, but the YouTube <laughs> audience and Sean cannot. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a bad cord and I've had it for about a few months now. Uh, but anyway, The Adventures of Robin Hood. Yes, so 1938, uh, starring... Errol Flynn and uh, Olivia de Havilland and uh, directed by Michael Curtiz, the director of Casablanca and one of my all time uh, favorite directors. Uh, he's such an interesting guy and he, he's such an incredible talent that uh, really I'm surprised more people don't talk about, you know, the way we talk about uh, Alfred Hitchcock and the way we talk about, uh, you know, other Billy Wilder, other classic directors, we don't talk about Curtiz in the same way because he doesn't have a great reputation as a nice person. He doesn't, actors loved Alfred Hitchcock. Aside from the way women yeah, talk about say. him today, <laughs> actors did love him back in the day. Uh, the same goes for Wilder and the, and the directors who are well-remembered in that way are all beloved by groups of actors. And Curtiz was never beloved by anybody. Uh, he was a demanding guy, and uh, he and Errol Flynn hated each other, <laughs> which is great to know. Because Errol Flynn's a terrible human being, if you get to if you drill down on his life, but uh, he's fantastic in this movie, though, as the uh, legendary character uh, Robin Hood, who uh, rob uh, robs from the rich to give to the poor, and uh, this is a, a smiling, happy adventure that 
really uh, Carrie Elway's uh, really remade in uh, Robin Hood <laughs> Men in Tights. He really, there's a lot of touches in this movie that are directly from uh, that movie, or directly from this movie, uh, which is nice. Uh, the the introduction of Robin to Prince John is the same scene essentially with him carrying a deer into the hall and dropping it on the table. <laughs> it's essentially the same scene, which is great. Uh, you can tell that that uh, Mel Brooks watched this version of Robin Hood a lot. Um, <laughs> and it's a typical Robin Hood story. He gathers his merry men in the in, in Sherwood Forest, and uh, they battle Prince John and, and uh, a guy of Gisborne, who's a interesting character who's been kind of forgotten in many other different versions of this story. Uh, and the way, and interesting, interesting to note here, and we're going to talk about another movie that inspired the choice of this in a moment. But uh, how this one has the sheriff of Nottingham almost absent. He's a, a cowardly uh, fat guy who just kind of <laughs> kind of hides from all the action throughout the movie, which is an interesting way to play that character who becomes uh, over time, you know, the most important character uh, in terms of being a villain in the Robin Hood series. Um, I really enjoyed a lot of this in terms of the Technicolor shooting, in terms of uh, Olivia de Havilland's performance, the supporting cast of Basil Rathbone is fantastic. And the, the fight scenes, they, they, Curtiz was specifically hired uh, to, to build up the fight scenes in the movie. And he did most of the interior shooting in this movie. And that's why those fight scenes are so spectacular. The, the, uh, the sword fights, the sword fighting in the movie is very realistic. Uh, they used, you know, real swords, and uh, they used real sword choreography. At one point, Curtiz uh, really wanted to wanted it to look real, so he had a guy take the tip off his sword, and he accidentally kind of stabbed Errol Flynn a little bit. Accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's th- This movie's really good, and the, the fight scene between Basil Rathbone and uh, Errol Flynn uh, using the shadows at one point and just the, the sound design and the, the footwork. It's, it's immaculate. It's really it's phenomenal. It just looks great. And, it, and that's really uh, you know, the hallmark of Curtiz is his ability to capture scenes like that. It, it is a, a bit light and airy in terms of the types of... Uh, it doesn't really have much in terms of the political themes of Robin Hood. Uh, yeah, we don't. We get the, a whole lot of things about Normans and Saxons and so on, which who cares? Uh, not a lot about the the actual class warfare. You know, we get a sense of that Prince John is harming people, but not as much a sense as we'll get from other Robin Hood stories of the damage that he's doing to people. Um, and that political element it, it would have given this movie maybe a little bit more weight. Uh, as it is, it's very light. As it is, yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. it it it's i mean so ingrained in pop culture though i mean that's having never seen this and then watching it i mean i feel like i'd already seen it while i'm watching it because <laughs> of the cartoon even yeah. the one we're going to talk about uh it still follows the same story but uh men in, robin hood menetize all that the pop culture that's you know referenced this movie is and i've seen it so many times and so many different variations uh, that I felt like I had already seen it, and so it was hard to be. And it wasn't like like when we watched Dracula or Frankenstein. Like those, still, I don't know what about those uh, because those are so ingrained in pop culture too. But something about those felt 
better. I, and this is fine. I think those are still I think those are still the best versions of those stories. That I think could, that's that, the difference. You're probably right. You're, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And, and I, mean, I don't think this is necessarily the best version of this story. Uh, it's it's certainly the most. I think it's maybe other than Robin Hood Men in Tights, the most fun uh, Robin Hood movie. Other ones get too serious. Other ones get completely too serious, like the most most recent ones with uh, Russell Crowe and uh, the one that they made that was like uh, Zero Dark Thirty Robin Hood. Is that <laughs> like, the Taron Egerton one? Yeah, that one is utter garbage. <laughs> and that probably should have been the best. Like that that's the one that you had the right cast, the right age. How do you screw that one up? Uh but they it did. is it is amazing how they how how they managed to, to screw that up and uh, yeah, so bad. It's such a terrible, terrible movie. It's so bad I forgot it existed until my brother <laughs> my brother was talking about it yesterday and I was like, Oh yeah, I totally forgot about that movie. <laughs> But this is just, I mean, Aerie is a great way to, you know, fun and, you know, light is a good way to describe this movie. The look is incredible, too. I mean, the the, sat, the heavily mm-hmm. saturated colors, the three color technicolor shooting that they that they used is uh, fun. And, you know, the introductions of, of the characters are great. Uh, it's really, aside from uh, Will Scarlet, who's just kind of there. <laughs> well, and Errol Flynn looks like such a douchebag and like... <laughs> I mean, it's it works. It works in a way, but it's because you kind of know his backstory. You can just kind of I don't, and you don't know if he was an asshole before this or the frame (laughs) of this made him more. But you could just kind of totally see the. I mean, he just looks like a guy you want to punch, and (laughs) that kind of hurts. You know, hurts it a little bit, but that's not fair to the movie because it's his reputation is. Uh, I don't know what it was back in 1938, but definitely in 2021, it, it hurts it a little bit, but not enough to make yeah. it bad. It's still, yeah, it's still good enough. And the the episode of the dollop on Errol Flynn is, is a journey, <laughs> to <laughs> say the least. It's quite the journey. There's a there's a dot, there's a anecdote that uh, Dave shares from Errol's life from uh, when he was a young man and his family had ducks. And he fed the ducks a piece of meat on a string. And as the duck would pass it through one duck, it would pass through to another duck. And another duck would eat it. And then he had a ducks, a series of ducks on a string. <laughs> He's a horrible monster of a child. Like a human's, like a duck like a, centipede? Like a duck centipede, yes. <sighs> he bought a woman. He, he bought uh, a couple of different women. Uh, over time, uh, just randomly purchasing women from their fathers uh, to then seem to marry and then discard as they got uh, out of their teenage years. <laughs> Sadly, there's a handful of heroes of mine that have similar stories <laughs> that uh, I like to pretend doesn't ex- don't exist. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it doesn't. I mean, this movie is still amazing, though. Yeah, at least Curtis's part is really good. <laughs> it is a, it is exceptionally well directed. I don't think that can be denied. And I think uh, I, I the more the more I experience Curtis movies, I'm just so happy with the experience. Like uh, I did, uh, I watched his movie Doctor X for uh, 
uh, TCM Fest, and that was a, a really great movie. And I wanted to watch his movie, The Walking Dead, but that one's not available. Um, uh, which, but it looked amazing. Uh, and he's just he's just so good. He even made, like I said, and I know you disagreed, but I thought he made Elvis into a great actor in uh, in that uh, movie, which now escapes me off the top of my head. The New Orleans one, Kid Creole. I thought he did an amazing job directing that film. Well, I also hate Elvis, so there is an element of that, that <laughs> I'm bringing to the table. <laughs> the Justin Bieber of 19-whatever. <laughs> uh, Olivia de Havilland is still alive. Really? Isn't that crazy? She's 101 years old. Awesome. And she might be dead. I'm not sure. <laughs> she was 101 years old last year when she was being interviewed every 10 minutes about Feud, uh, the, <laughs> the TV series. Nice. All right, let's move on to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, Kevin Costner's uh, blockbuster take on the Robin Hood tale from 1991. It uh, co-stars Morgan Freeman and... uh, Alan Rickman. (laughs) Alan Rickman, yes. Christian uh, Slater. (laughs) Christian Slater. Uh, (laughs) uh, And just another Robin Hood movie. Uh, This is... This is bad to me. I, I found it to be bad. I'm sorry. I know I'm not supposed to say that. Uh, I know a lot of people really like this version of Robin Hood. I just don't. Uh, it, I find this movie just to be strange, and, and the pacing is weird. Uh, same story. Curious Robin is this, well. It's a weird in the original in the 1938 version. He doesn't go to the Crusades. He's still in in England. This version, he's in the Crusades. Uh, and he gets captured and escapes courtesy of uh, Azim, played by Morgan Freeman, and returns to England to find that his father's land has been taken from him by uh, by the evil sheriff of Nottingham. Uh, there's no uh, the guy of Gisborne is in the movie, but uh, essentially there's no other villain than Alan Rickman uh, as the as the sheriff, who's kind of taken on all the villain roles uh, in this movie. They've also added a witch for reasons. Uh, <laughs> Um, he, he, you know, same story. He gathers up his, uh, his various, uh, merry men who are going to help him, uh, battle back against the evil of, uh, of the sheriff who's, you know, taxing people and, and torturing people. And Alan Rickman is just chewing every last bit of scenery that you put a piece of scenery in front of me. He's going to chew on it as much as possible. It's, it's, it's almost disgusting. It's pig-like. It's, it's just really <laughs> gnawing on the scenery in every scene. Uh, his death scene, where he takes that, uh, or he takes the knife out, he holds it in front of himself, and he can't believe that it's the knife he gave to Marion. He's got to fall down like three times before he dies. Just all over the place. I mean. Did you notice? I, and I'm not saying this. I'm not. I don't mean to say this in any weird way. There's just a lot of really intimate male hugs in this movie, which I didn't remember. There's a lot of male, which is, I guess, a, a progressive thing. Really, I just didn't realize there was this much of it. And there's a <laughs> lot of those scenes in this movie where men are just very close and hugging. Which, again, I appreciate the level of male on male intimacy in this movie. I didn't expect to see that in a 1991 movie. Uh, but there's a lot of it. It just it stands out. It is, it is notable and I'm not uncomfortable with it. I'm just noting that I just didn't expect to see that. Um, the, uh, Costner is just such a weird actor in this world. Cause he's supposed to be English and he's not making any attempt to be English in any way. Um, it's just full on Midwestern American. 
it's uh it's very funny it's very funny to me uh the action in the movie isn't particularly impressive it's blockbuster style action scenes but set in a forest in the 1100s <laughs> um yeah i i don't know i th- i don't think this is a very good movie i don't think kevin reynolds is a very good director i think kevin reynolds his job is just to do whatever costner tells him to and to uh put costner over like he's hulk hogan in the late 90s just <laughs> make make me look good that's your job is to make me look good <laughs> But he did, you know, I, I guess, <laughs> I mean, here's where, because Backdraft was just a few weeks ago, and right. here's why this is better than Backdraft, because of Kevin Reynolds, <laughs> because his job was just to make Kurt, or Kevin Costner look good. Kurt Russell did everything Ron Howard asked. He was perfect in the movie for what Ron Howard wanted, and it's one of the worst Kurt Russell performances ever. <laughs> yeah. And it's not Kurt Russell's fault. He, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. This is more just it's more fun in a loose way now because of that there's pacing issues but i kind of enjoy when the actors take over now it prevents them from being great don't get me wrong but it's just a blockbuster so because the actors have taken over and done what they want you know i I thought alan rickman was i I loved how i loved this scenery chewing it was uh (laughs) memorable and you know i'm also bringing years of this movie this is a movie i've watched a ton as a kid so uh, it's not one where I, like I, I still know the lines. So when I go back, it's not I'm not revisiting it. I'm it's just I'm just watching it again. You know, I'm not finding out if it's any good because I have such a history with it. So I am bringing that with it. But uh, it, it definitely it, it did what it needed to do. Uh, again, that doesn't make it great, but I'll take this over backdraft or pretty much anything sure. Ron Howard's ever done. A, co- a brief comparison to underline my point about how Costner is basically Hogan in the 90s is, the, uh, is that we're in, er- we're, in Errol- we're in the scene where Errol Flynn meets Friar Tuck. He's willing to put him over. Where he meets Little John, he puts him over. He lets you... Little John defeats Robin Hood the first time they meet in The Adventures of Robin Hood. Here, he has to win every time. <laughs> he used to look good every single time <laughs> but i didn't I, but it, it worked you know i liked hulk hogan in the 80s so it was <laughs> you know it, that's what it was and you know when you put that and then there's the unnecessary butt scene or whatever <laughs> uh which was i, I mean it was just kind of it, it was clearly like i want to show my butt in this movie right. so put this in the movie Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio also is not the most expressive actress. She's not the most compelling. She just seems kind of sad. You know, Olivia de Havilland, like, I bought her being into, into Errol Flynn big time. Like, that, that, that chemistry in a couple of those scenes was really off the charts. Uh, and, and here, she just seems, she, she doesn't seem bored. She just seems like a typical damsel in distress throughout. And there's, I know she does some action stuff, but it's I didn't buy any of it, and it didn't feel like she really bought any of it. And I had such a crush on her as a kid that none of that really, you know, all the context is lost. So I don't know how good or bad it was. I still go back to that memory of when I watched it when I was younger. And, and uh, Morgan Freeman, I mean, <laughs> what what does Morgan Freeman do uh, in this movie exactly? <laughs> I mean, early on he's fun, <laughs> <Enough>. <laughs> and then out of nowhere, 
Go ahead. It's just I don't want to call it you know that that phrase magical, but well, right. It, it, I mean, he is. <laughs> he just happens to have the best. The, he happens to be the the kindest, most noble, intelligent human being on the planet who has a has a solution to every single problem that they may have at any moment. <laughs> But there's some funny scenes when, like, early on when he's praying, and <laughs> I, I don't know. It, I just, it, it's fun enough for what it is uh, that I think it works. Uh, but again, I'm bringing history with it, so uh, this is this is though the, this is the, the definitely the turning point for Costner when his ego began to overtake his talent. Uh, here, from here on. It's just it gets really, really bad. We'll go on to you know Waterworld Water and the Postman and all that trash in a, over the next several years, and it's just going to be all out Costner ego fests after this. Yeah, and I mean it's funny we were talking Kurt Russell. The way their careers parallel each other is, you know, Kurt Russell was possibly going to be in Bull Durham at one point, and you know they they could have. <laughs> You know, he could have had more of the movie star career and he never got it really till he ended up getting it a little bit later on, I guess, uh, with Tombstone and Soldier or not, whatever. But then they meet at 3,000 miles to Graceland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I wish they hadn't. <laughs> but, but then Tarantino and Rodriguez start, you know, talking about the old Carpenter stuff and he gets a nice comeback. And now my son knows Kurt Russell as Santa Claus and the guy from Death Proof. <laughs> I think I would take Russell as an actor over, over oh, Costner every single for time. For sure. At the same time, I, I'll still take Costner and Boulder. I, I, uh, yeah, that movie is so perfect that I don't need. Untouchable, but yeah. But no, I agree with you 100%. As an actor, I think Russell's a better actor. I think Kurt Russell was totally unaware of any success he's ever had, and that's kind of helped him as an actor. <laughs> he does seem rather egoless in that way. Like, he has no idea that people love the thing and Big Trouble. Like, I think he's just now starting to understand it now that his career is close to the end. Uh, and that's pretty cool in a lot of ways. Uh, he is kind of a right wing nut job, from what I understand. Uh, oh, boo! <laughs> I heard on the the Kate and Oliver Hudson of a podcast, and that someone I asked him about how they handle p- political discussions, and they just like we just don't have them with with pop. <laughs> and that's how they get along. Uh, but I don't know. That for, I've never really heard Russell say anything out loud in interviews. Oh, but anyway, yeah, uh, doesn't matter. I don't mind Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, uh, but I am bringing a lot to it. I, I do believe, though, if you're five years younger than me or, you know, maybe not necessarily older, especially because Kevin Costner had a big fan base at this point. Uh, what about the Brian Adams song? <laughs> oh, fuck Brian Adams. I hate Brian Adams. See, I, always, I used to love. Now, part of that, I should say, I used to love Brian Adams. I used to be a huge Brian Adams fan. Waking Up the Neighbors is a record that I absolutely loved, but this song ruined my life for well over a year and a half while I was getting into radio in the '90s because this song was even. I got into radio in '96, and this song was five years old. And it was still played so much and it was constantly requested and of course i had to do weddings and dances as a dj 
and it's like can you play the the brian adams robin hood song I'm like no fuck why please don't make me do that i hate this i hate it so much i hate it i hate it it's terrible pretty and sure I hate it. go ahead i was gonna say josh adams i think is watching us he goes <laughs> Pretty ironic that Caruso would be egoless considered he literally played a character ah, named I, I Ego. I was going to do that joke. I was going to do that joke. I beat you to the point live. <laughs> and he's not even here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tune in sometime and hear jo- me and Josh doing radio together, actually, where we've been doing sports shows recently. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, this was the first time I ever played music live on a stage that I learned to play it on guitar, even though it's a piano song. <laughs> Uh, in like sixth grade or whatever, fifth or sixth grade, and we messed it up. The or the kids singing it messed it up, and I had to start over. It sucked. But I used to love the song, but then I was also a kid, so yeah. uh, I hate it. It did so ruin. Much. I don't listen to it anymore, but uh, I, I still have nightmares about it. This that and the and the song that he did for the Three Musketeers with him and Sting and Rod Stewart that piece of shit song I was getting total old enough fucking garbage I was old enough at that point to be over it but I was young enough for this one <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of Robin Hood movies like I think Adventures of Robin Hood is a better for me I know you like this movie. I I think it's a better movie than this uh, because of Curtis but I don't really connect with any of the Robin Hood movies very well aside from and i know it's not a really a robin hood movie but robin hood men in tights is my favorite presentation of robin Hood as a character carrie elwes is takes like the the best things about about uh errol flynn and and parodies them so perfectly in that role and it, it's just it, it's just so much better than any other robin hood aside from maybe the cartoon for me yeah, I, again, I'm just I'm bringing so much history with this movie, and then I never watched Robin Hood Men in Tights. So, in fact, when that came out, I'm like, Kevin Costner didn't wear tights. What the fuck? So, <laughs> uh, but, oh. but I totally acknowledge that I'm bringing being ten or eleven years old when this came out to my opinion now, and watching it repeatedly for years. Yeah, uh, I I I actually saw the like I've seen the animated. Robin Hood and uh, and Robin Hood Men in Tights before I'd ever even heard of Errol Flynn and the adventures of Errol Flynn. So I'd never seen that uh, going into those. So now I, I, I imagine if I go back and watch uh, Men in Tights now, it's probably even better now. I'm, I'm sure it is. <laughs> and I might have to watch it just because one, I've never seen it. And now having seen the Errol Flynn version, I'm sure I'd really appreciate it. I had seen the cartoon. And that was why it felt, I mean, and plus anything with the, I don't know if Looney Tunes ever did anything, but Robin Hood's been such a pop culture character that I just that felt like I was seeing the movie for the 15th or 16th time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Bugs Bunny played Robin Hood yeah. at one point. And yeah, it's it's one of those things that just uh, rob from the rich, give to the poor is you know something that both you and I believe uh, believe in as a political strategy. <laughs> I used to believe in that. <laughs> I now own a company, so we're going to see how that plays out. <laughs> Trump 2024. Uh, I am totally kidding. Uh, no, I, I'm with you 100%. I, yeah. But again, I don't. If you are going to go to Blockbusters, though, I mean, you're right. I, Robin Hood's not. This isn't a go to movie for me by any means. It just was for a while as a kid but i'll still i'd rather go watch die hard or lethal weapon or anything anything else from 
that. I mean, I just think I was the right age. You know, fast forward. Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles. I would have been. Right. I mean, but even in a lot of ways, you fast forward 10 years or whatever. And if if I was 11 when Armageddon came out, I'd probably still defend that movie. You know, this isn't much. This is as stupid as that is in a lot of ways. So I think that movie's much stupider than this even. But uh, (laughs) either way, I don't. What uh, the Robin Hood movies that have been made recently? Like I don't know, I don't know what Russell Crowe was thinking with his version of Robin Hood. It was just, it was really dark, and it had like none of the fun. And he's way too old to play Mm -hmm. the character, and they're putting it into just the absolute wrong context. And he's just, he doesn't appear to have any fun doing it. I don't know. Why they thought it was a good idea. Uh, Sean Connery played Robin Hood in a movie back in the 70s. I've not seen that one, but it's called Robin and Marion, uh, which I guess makes it ironic that a hero play, comes back and plays the king in this movie. Yeah, that's they're like, we've got to bring someone back from one of them. <laughs> was Errol Flynn still alive when this came out? <laughs> I don't I Given the number of venereal diseases he had, I imagine he was dead by the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is our show. Oh, how do I get out of here? Stop sharing. There we go. Come on, mouse. Where you at? I have no idea how to get out of this thing. You see anything? I just see Robin Hood. <laughs> I don't know. I can't see my cursor. I just want to stop the share. <laughs> there we go. All right. Next week, we've got the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Is that the order? That is what it's words? called. All yes. Right. Fatherhood, the Kevin Hart movie on Netflix, The Serpent, Aquila's Escape, and A Crime on the Bayou, a documentary. 1991, we got Dying Young, The Rocketeer, and where angels fear to tread i don't i don't want to oversell the serpent to anybody but uh it is uh, it may just be the room of action movies which room <laughs> the room <laughs> not the academy award winning one okay uh all right yeah it's i'm gonna have to watch that one then I watched a movie this week called uh, Eat Wheaties. It's actually pretty fun with Tony Hale. What is it? It's about Tony Hale plays this guy who just kind of discovers Facebook for the first time. He's you know, he works in an office. He's kind of an awkward guy. And they're having a college class reunion, and they want him to be on the board. But in order to be on the board, he's got to sign up for Facebook. Well, as he's signing up for Facebook, there's friends that you, people you may know as friends. And Elizabeth Banks pop up because she went to college with him. Uh, like yeah. Elizabeth Banks, not the actress. I mean, the actress, but playing oh. herself. And he keeps telling people he knows her, and they were friends in college. And so he just keeps sending her messages on Facebook. Well, he doesn't know that he's doing it on a post and not a message. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> and then he reaches out to her publicist to get an autographed picture for his brother. And it's all of it's very innocent, but because yeah. of his, because uh, of how, uh, I can't think of the word clueless he is to how Facebook works. He comes off as a stalker. So then he gets, uh, 
oh my god uh what's the word when you can't Locked? be around person no they put a legal uh, oh uh restraining order. restraining order uh their publicist puts restraining on him because they think he's uh harassing her he loses his job he loses everything over this and elizabeth banks doesn't check her facebook page so she's not there to help him out they he ends up hiring paul Walterhouse. is that his name to be his lawyer no, paul Walterhauser, yeah from cruella yeah to be his lawyer because he can't afford anybody else and uh it, it's just kind of a comedy of errors type movie it's not great but it ends up being a lot of fun uh i, sh- I should have sold a little more but it's it's just kind of a it's just a fun little movie I, I recommend Liza Cuthbert's actually really good in it uh, it's something you don't hear often since 24 uh, <laughs> wait wait I read but there was an article linked at the bottom of another article that I was reading that says she's not cast in Hollywood movies anymore <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it was uh, a fun little movie I mean you'd never heard of it so that's how <laughs> Where is it? Yeah, where'd you see it? I saw it on Amazon. I couldn't get my, like, my wife watched the trailer to everything. And I'm like, I have to watch the amusement park, and I got to watch these two Robin Hood movies. If any of the other movies look good to you, we'll watch those. And she didn't want to watch any of them. And then Eat Wheaties just sounded fun, and it ended up being pretty fun. Now, sometimes you just like a movie and you find out it's bad later on. It seemed good at the time. So I don't, if you ever, I, I do recommend checking it out on Amazon. They did a pretty terrible job of promoting it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's not a great title either, but and Sarah Chalk plays the, pros- the not the prosecutor, the uh, the agent of Elizabeth huh. Banks. So it's, I yeah. don't know. It's, it's Is Elizabeth good. Banks actually in the movie? Or? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you hear her voice at one point. Uh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's. I enjoyed it. Uh, but yes, uh, before we go and go to Flickchart, head over to our, our patreon.com slash critics pod to help support the podcast. If you want some T public merch, I hate critics.net and click on the right hand T public link up in the right hand corner. And don't forget to give us a five star review to have a chance to win a couple of Blu-rays uh, and let us know at critics at I hate critics.net that you left to review and we'll read it on the air. And uh, I'll uh, share my, my other podcast shot at the movies. I've got to interview. I've got an interview with Nicole Regal, the director of holler and uh, the director, uh, Nancy Bursky, the director of uh, a curse on the Bayou, which we're talking about next week. Awesome. Uh, let's move over to flick chart here. And now that Josh is watching, he can actually be upset by <laughs> choices. <laughs> So we pick against Alien every time. <laughs> or Lord of the Rings. Don't forget that one. <laughs> and maybe we'll play. Let's, my cursor is not being kind to me. There we Yikes. Go. Might have to get a new computer. That sucks. All right. I heart Huckabee's Batman Returns. I heart Huckabee's for me. Absolutely. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Grandma's Boy. Eternal Sunshine. Breakfast at Tiffany's, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Absolutely. Ugh. Pacific Rim, The Avengers. Uh, the Avengers. 
Now you see me, March of the Penguins. I don't know. I'd watch Now You See Me, like, if you asked me to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate March of the Penguins. I don't, I don't think Now You See Me is bad. Josh says his favorite Robin Hood movie is Fight Club. And, <laughs> and We Are Cruel. <laughs> the Boondock Saints 2, All Saints Day, The Ten. The Ten isn't even a very good movie. It's still better than Boondock Saints. Especially Part Two. Not that I, I would have picked over Boondock Saints as well, but Part Two is even worse. Eagle Eye, Rush Hour Three. Eagle Eye. Greed. Shoot 'em up. Good morning, Vietnam. Uh, good morning, Vietnam. But I, I do have a secret love of Shoot 'em up. I agree. The Dreamers, The Sixth Sense. The Dreamers should have been so much better than it is. The Sixth Sense. Agreed. Rain Man, Matchstick Men. Matchstick Men. I still like Rain Man a little bit. <laughs> it is Tails. Matchstick Men wins. Captain America, Civil War, 13 going on 30. That is way harder than you would think it would be. Uh, Captain America, but I, I, I love 13 going on 30. <laughs> I don't like Civil War. Good so for you. I'm going 13 going on 30. And I win. Good. I'm glad. It was very close for me. Secret Window, the best years of our lives. So, uh, it's been a while. I'm not sure. I Want think I've seen best years of our lives. I don't have you, you've not it. seen it. I haven't yeah. seen it. So let's just move it. Secret Window, Tommy Boy. Secret Window. Yeah, I feel bad for not representing Tommy Boy, but I've never been a huge fan. Uh, Brand Upon the Brain. Never heard of it. Me either. The Pink Panther, Just Visiting. Good God. Uh, Fishing with Gandhi. (laughs) There was a point when somebody thought that John Reno would be a huge American comedy star. What was anyone thinking in 2001? (laughs) Josh called Civil War the civil wrestling match I agree completely Uh, I'm just going to reboot do both these because I don't have an opinion (laughs) District 9 Stir of Echoes Stir of Echoes (laughs) This is really hard for me because I do like District 9 but I really like Stir of Echoes too Stir of Echoes really underrated I agree completely Even without Kevin Bacon's dick in it No, it's District 9 because there's no dick. (laughs) Splash, 12 Angry Men. 12 Angry Men. (laughs) Well, it's like Daryl Hannah's butt or 12 Angry Men. (laughs) Uh, Caddyshack, Gone with the Wind. They've actually digitally removed Daryl Hannah's butt. (laughs) I know. Then it's definitely 12 Angry Men. Uh, Caddy Shack. I agree. Fuck God with the wind. Star Wars: The Last Jedi, The Maltese Falcon. I do love Maltese. when classics huh. come up against Star Wars. <laughs> Maltese Falcon. Yeah. Although most Star Wars fans aren't upset that <laughs> that Last Jedi lost. Tropic Thunder, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Yeah. History of the World Part 1, Sin City. Sin City. Agreed. 
Thor Ragnarok Underworld. Thor. Yep. Star Wars The Last Jedi, Robin Hood, <laughs> Prince of Thieves. Star Wars. I do like The Last Jedi, so I'll, I can take my history and understand it properly. School of Rock, Natural Born Killers. Uh, School of Rock, by a lot. Absolutely. Have you heard the horrible news about... Yeah, that was terrible. That one sucks. of the young... The one of the kids died. Yeah, got hit by... A, he was really talented. He was really he was talented. Awesome. Well, my son's playing drums now, and he went and told his drum teacher about it, and the drum teacher already knew, and he goes, what got him into drums was wanting to be better than that kid went, because he was the same age. And yeah. So it was... That's just a sad story. Three Musketeers, Team America, World Police. This is fun for me. You you pick. I, I don't really have any passion for either one. I hate Team America, but I don't love Three Musketeers. I love Team America. And we talked about the song from Three Musketeers. So, Strangers on a Train, Deadpool 2. I love Strangers on a Train, but I would actually love to watch Deadpool 2 again. I think that movie's fun. I agree. There's some other Hitchcocks that obviously would be... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Give me uh, Chinatown, the conversation. Chinatown, the conversation's incredible though. I haven't seen it. Big Daddy saw two. Saw two. Creed, the Passion of Anna, the Wizard of Oz. I don't think I've seen the Passion of Anna. Neither have I. So let's go with Dances with Wolves, the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> the Wizard of Oz. Yep. Because it's shorter. It's better, too. It is better, too. Almost Famous, The Fistful of Dollars. Almost Famous, our number one movie. Yep. I do love A Fistful of Dollars. Though. It's, other than Unforgiven, might be my favorite of the Clint Eastwood Westerns. Uh, Pearl Harbor, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. The only time I might pick Pearl Harbor is right now. You could have gone either way with that statement. <laughs> that would have been like, I was on the edge of my seat waiting to see which one you were going to say. <laughs> Fine, Pearl Harbor. Uh, I mean, in fairness, I should have gone Deuce Bigelow because it aimed lower and it wasn't as big of a miss as Pearl Harbor was. Last True. King of Scotland, The Believer. Pearl Harbor has Affleck, so that wins. <laughs> That's why I'm not losing sleep over it. <laughs> um, the believer for me, I I, I didn't oh, I connect like with last. Movie. I didn't connect with Last King of Scotland the way that a lot of people did. Yeah, I, I thought the performance was good, but the movie itself was just a movie. I, but the believer, I thought I kind of enjoyed that a little bit. Gosling is a hell of an actor. Analyze this, Oblivion. Oblivion for me. I've never seen it, so I will let you have that one. I do love Analyze This, though. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Clueless. Clueless. Do not like the Spider-Man movies, and Clueless is actually pretty good. The Amazing Spider-Man movies, that is. Uh, Zootopia Before Sunrise. Before Sunrise. Blade Runner 2049, Rango. That is tough. Rango is a great movie. Um... Man, I love Blade Runner 2040. I'm going to go. God, I don't know where to go on this. Honestly, where are you thinking? I'm leaning Blade Runner, but I'm, it's for lazy reasons, just simply because it's not a cartoon. But Rango's actually very, very good. So I and it's, I, I, I think I, I'd Rango in my top 10, if not number one for the year it came out. I love it. I just 
Denis Villeneuve is one of my you know top three directors right now. So I just I feel like I out of loyalty to him, <laughs> just want to pick let, his movie let, every time. Let's let George pick. Right. <laughs> he likes Denis as well. Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but that that was hard. Uh, what dreams may come Friday the thirteenth. I I don't know. I, I don't really care for either one. What movies still get talked about today, though? <laughs> what movie's been forgotten? <laughs> Friday the 13th is remembered today, I guess. I know it's not very good, but I, I like it a little better. And since you don't seem to care, I'm going with it. <laughs> sure. The 40-year-old virgin, the pink, the 40-year-old virgin, virgin, the pink, fink? What the fuck? The Pink Panther 1964. Uh, it's the 40 year old virgin I never understood what anybody enjoyed about the Pink Panther Kingdom of Heaven King Kong King Kong all the way absolutely Twilight Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey I am told there's like a different version of Kingdom of Heaven that they that they assembled uh, like a director's cut version that's supposed to be a lot better but I still ha- I have no interest in going back and taking a look at it to find out <laughs> Uh, these are both garbage. I don't care. <laughs> I'll go Ron Howard on this one. I don't like to go with him, but he's safer. Twilight yeah. is just bad. Yeah, that's true. Ready Player One, The Happening. Ready Player One wouldn't win many, many battles for me, but I would certainly pick it over that movie. Right, The Happening. If like if M Night was smart enough to follow Mark Wahlberg's lead in that one, that would have been. <laughs> a pretty awesome fun little bad movie but he tried to play it serious too much revenge of the nerds hard candy hard candy absolutely revenge of the nerds does not age well no (laughs) (laughs) this is the greatest match in history it's casper from 1995 or henry portrait of a serial killer (laughs) That's how this is a, actually Casper's origin story. It's Henry of a serial <laughs> portrait of a serial killer. <laughs> I'm assuming we're going with Henry. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I love that matchup. That was great. <laughs> Rambo: First Blood Part Two: The Assassin. I've never seen The Assassin. Neither have I. Rambo: First Blood Part Two: Enchanted. Enchanted. Going Rambo Part Two. That was anything great that's ever happened in Rambo is from that movie. So the other ones are just so bad. <laughs> well, the first one's okay. God damn it, Enchanted wins. Like the one I actually wanted to win. Closer the closer, the Taylor of Panama. Uh, uh, closer. Bo- both of these are really good movies. Yes, Kate Fear. And mostly forgotten. <laughs> yes, Kate Fear, Dracula. Dracula. Yeah. Oh, wait, 1974. Oh, oh, I thought it was the original Dracula. <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't matter. Kate Fear is not let's, great. <laughs> let's skip those. Despicable. Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> Despicable Me Too or Saturday Night Fever. Uh, Baby Doll or American Tale, Five Goes I'm West. I've not seen Baby Doll. Princess Bride or American Tale Fable Goes West. Princess Bride. 
Absolutely. Hostage, Captain America, the first Avenger. The Princess Bride is the first time that uh, Carrie always played Errol Flynn. Yeah. <laughs> and then he never stopped in every movie he's ever been in. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming, though, he's a better human being. I'm just going to get Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Captain America. Hostage, though, might be the last time Willis was actually good in the movie. Now you got me thinking. <laughs> he was okay at the end of uh, the M. Night movie before they did Glass. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark Slither. Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's fine. I don't really care. A Man Called Peter the Ringer. Never seen a man called Peter. How to Train Your Dragon the Ringer. Uh, how to Train Your Dragon mediocre cartoon movie. I agree. Deep Blue Sea Toy Story. Toy Story. Yep. Crocodile Dundee, The Bank Job. The Bank Job. Mm-hmm. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, The Mist. All right, you can have it. Yes. The Mist. <laughs> Vertigo Platoon. Vertigo. Absolutely. Hitman, how to lose a guy in 10 days. <laughs> They're both utter garbage. Uh, how to lose a guy in 10 days just because Kate Hudson's beautiful. So is Matthew McConaughey. I agree. Uh, the Full Monty, A Walk in the Clouds. Uh, the Full Monty. Yes. The Perks of Being a Wallflower, Underworld. Perks of Being a Wallflower is a really good movie. Mm-hmm. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty. Oh, good. I thought I was going to have to flip a coin. I mean, I, I, I like Spider-Man 2. I don't love it. I know, but I was... Amazing to... Spider-Man 2. I yeah, love yeah. I love Spider-Man If it was Spider-Man 2, <laughs> don't, there's no question. Inner Space, Liar, Liar. Liar, Liar. Yes. The Revenant, Planet Terror. <laughs> Or the Revenant. An American Tale, Philo Goes West, The Curse of Frankenstein. I don't think I've seen The Curse of Frankenstein. I'm going to do them both over again because I don't really give a shit about <laughs> Philo Goes West. The Ring, The Big Short. The Big Short. Absolutely. Austin Powers and Goldmember, Megamind. Megamind. Agreed. Goldmember is the worst Austin Powers movie. Holy shit. Ichi the Killer or Willow. <laughs> it's Ichi the Killer. It is. Let the right one in. Sex in the City. I've actually watched both Willow and Ichi the Killer in the last month. <laughs> Let the right one in. Absolutely. That poster for Sex in the City is better than the Sex in the City movie. <laughs> yes, it is. Eyes wide shut on the waterfront. Eyes wide shut. Yeah, we need to make both those a classic sometime soon. Hancock, Howard the Duck. I like laughing at Howard the Duck. Uh, Hancock's not good, but it's better than Howard the Duck. So I thought the first half of Hancock was pretty solid, and then kind of yeah. ran away. It's from good the idea show. there, but right. Get out, Leith Weapon Four. Uh, get out. <laughs> yeah, as much as I enjoy the bad Leith Weapon Four, <laughs> Get Out's pretty amazing. Encino Man, White Chicks. Encino Man. 
Really? I hate white chicks. I think white chicks is unfunny, just intr- incredibly unfunny. Encino Man isn't much fun either, but it's I would rather watch that than white chicks. Yeah, but that Eric Andre movie kind of <laughs> made white chicks have a little bit of life. Uh, I, but I'm with I, you. I do, I do, I get what you're saying, and and I just I I, I remember the actual theatrical experience of white chicks. Uh, but I was actually watching. Uh, was it uh, Austin Austin Crete uh, uh, New Day? their podcast and they were actually talking about how great white girls is <laughs> that's funny i've never seen white chicks uh and then seen a man i didn't hate it when i was a kid but i only watched it the one time in the theater uh hunger games judge dread 1995 hunger games i agree but i did defend judge dread for a long time uh gorgeous mr north i've not seen either of those movies Neither have I. I'm thinking of ending things. Fierce creatures. I'm thinking of ending things. That movie just gets better the more time I spend thinking about it. Yep. Speaking of movies that get good, this is a good one to go out on. <laughs> Old boy or Citizen Kane? Oh wow. Um. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Citizen Kane. I think I'm gonna go old boy. I mean, I, I, I mean, I. Citizen the experience King's, of old boy is coloring everything because it was such a wonderful right. show experience. And any although it goes with Citizen Kane, I wasn't. You know, I have to go back and kind of read about it. I didn't get to experience, so I don't have. You know, it's. So you're right. So I'm, I enjoy the experience of old boy better. So let's flip it and see how we end the show. Oh, I can't see. Oh. That's heads. I feel bad. Oh my God. Wow. It's kind of bad. It makes our podcast look bad. I apologize. <laughs> wonder what Josh would have picked. <laughs> <laughs> My guess is Citizen Kane. Uh, yeah, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next week. Any uh, anything else before I we hang up? I <laughs> uh, do uh, just check out Sean at the movies so I can uh, you can hear my conversation with uh, Holler director Nicole Regal and get ready for next week's show when we talk about the documentary, uh, the uh, uh, a crime on the Bayou. Which uh, I've got two documentaries that are dropping this week or that are about. Uh, some incredible pieces of history. Uh, also this week, I'm going to be dropping a review of a, of a documentary that's deb- debuting on Nat Geo on Friday night uh, and on Hulu as well. That's called rise again, uh, which is all about rise again, the red summer and Tulsa. Uh, and it's about uh, the re- un- ungodly amount of violence that, that uh, black people suffered in the summer of 1919 that led to the Tulsa riot of 1921, in which 300 black people were murdered. Innocent people were murdered in the streets. And uh, it, uh, President Biden is going there to Tulsa this week on uh, Tuesday to, to be there for the 100-year anniversary of this. It's still happening as we speak. This uh, story is still ongoing because they're uncovering mass graves of black people in Tulsa. And uh, it's a story that's just not talked about nearly enough. And I have, I've got an interview dropping next week with one of the subjects, uh, Deneen Brown, 
who's a Washington Post reporter who's the, the at the center of this documentary. And uh, both those uh, both those reviews will be up this week. And yeah, so it ought to be a fun show next week. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned, though, that that hasn't been talked about a lot. Now that it's turned 100, it seems like it's picking up another life, though, because I'm hearing about it a lot lately. So that's, yeah. you know, cool, if nothing else. Cool is not the right word, but it's good. That it's, it's good that somebody's talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll see everybody next week.